Today on the Future Ready podcast, we have a candidate running for Congress. She wants secure borders. She wants term limits. She wants America back to its original form. And I love that idea. So get ready because everything today is future ready. Dennis Michael Lynch gives you his word and he will never let you down. He will always fight for America. The only one who really puts his money where his mouth is is Dennis Michael Lynch. Hello, I'm Dennis Michael Lynch, and I thank you for joining me today. Uh, as you know, or maybe you don't, we have started a new program here, a uh, once-a-week podcast called Future Ready. And what the objective is, is to take someone who's got a great story to tell or somebody who's got expertise or somebody who could add something to the national conversation, not only about what's happening today, but what tomorrow can look like. And we try to put a positive spin on everything because, listen, there's so much gloom and doom out there. The last thing you want to do is hear your buddy DML tell you more about how the world is coming to an end, the sky is falling, and there is no hope for tomorrow. We have to have faith that there are people in this country who are willing to do the right thing day in and day out, not for their own advancements, not for their own wallets, but because of their love of country, because of their love of family, and because of the faith that they have. So when we can find somebody who is worth the 30 minutes, 35 minutes that we put into this, we ask them right away, will you come on the program? I wound up getting a text message going back about, I don't know, a few days ago. And so, wow, I haven't heard from Brooke in a long time. Wonder what's going on with her. So let me tell you when I met this very, very smart, very, very friendly and very, very attractive lady named Brooke McCowan. Uh, going back years ago, you may recall, especially if you followed me for a while, there was a uh, there was going to be a million Muslim march to Washington D.C. on nine eleven. Well, as a nine eleven survivor, somebody ran from the buildings. That didn't sit very well with me. Now, at that time, the only two wheel device that I had ever ridden was a ten speed bicycle, but this was about to change. Because one day I'm sitting there, I'm looking at Fox News, and I see this woman get on there, and she starts saying about how this Muslim march is not going to be acceptable. So they came up with the two million biker ride to D.C. on the same day. And I said, you know what? I like this idea. But in my mind, bikers were like hell's angels. So I'm like, I'm not going to fit in well. I'm a shortstop and a quarterback. I'm not a, I'm not a Harley dude, and I certainly don't wear leather chains, and I don't beat the hell out of people for no reason. That was my stupid idea of what it is that a biker is. So I go to Washington, D.C., and I see an ocean of motorcycles with some of the most patriotic, law-abiding God-fearing people that I've ever met in this country. The Hells Angels were there, but they were, they were a small component. There were just everybody. There were cops. There were firemen. There were you know, dentists. There were doctors. There were nurses, school teachers, retirees, Vietnam vets, every Iraqi vets. You name it, it was there. Black, white, Latino, everybody. And I'm like, wow, this is great. In fact, I'm getting a little bit of the goosebumps as I'm thinking about it. And somebody actually presented me that day with a biker's vest. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. One of the women who led that day is who you're about to meet. Like I said, her name is Brooke. And so I haven't heard from Brooke. That's got to go back now. My goodness, I don't even know how many years that was. I was still on Fox News. So it's got to go back about eight, nine years ago. 
And so all of a sudden I get a text message the other day saying, I'm running for Congress. And I said, all right, clear the schedule. I'm going to make a Friday. We're going to have Brooke on the program. So without further uh, delay, I'm going to bring in to you right now uh, Brooke McGowan. She's coming to me from North Carolina. I want to say her website a whole bunch of times today before I allow her to speak. It is Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E-4, spelt out F-O-R, NC as in North Carolina. So one big huge word, Brooke for North Carolina.com. She's running in District 10. She's got a lot to say of what's broken about America and why it is that we need her in Congress. Brooke, thank you for joining me today on DML Future Ready. It's a real pleasure to be with you, Dennis. I remember that day so well. It was 2013, 9-11. So it was 10 and a half years ago. Is that so? That's right. That was 2013. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Can you believe it? That was a great day to be an American, wasn't it? We had people from all walks of life. You mentioned you mentioned the Hells Angels. Sure, they were there, and so were the Outlaws and the One Percenters. But for sure, motorcycle clubs, ministries across the country were making their way to D.C. for that day. We all stood up as one America, patriotic, to say, you are not going to take our mall today million Muslims. And there were like 30, I think, ended up being like 30 Muslims. But we literally had 2 million bikers in D.C. on 9-11-2013. It was a great, great day. Well, you know, you know what I find the most amazing is that it was back in 2013. Now we're in 2024. And you and I look younger than we did back then. (laughs) Right? Who's got a That's a great compliment. There you go, Brooke. Who's better than us? Yeah, you see? Go ahead. It's just... It's shocking because now I'm a grandmother and uh, I'm fighting to, you know, for our country to survive, but also for my grandchildren to have the posterity that we desire and that our founding fathers wanted for us. Because, you know, you've been in this fight for a long time. We are on the precipice of losing our nation now. Oh, goodness gracious. Listen, with all with all the things that we've had come out in the last couple of days between Joe Biden, uh, you know, being told, yeah, you did uh, you did wrong with classified documents, but don't worry about it. You're too old, crusty and forgetful. We're not going to do anything to you. The stuff going on at the at the border, which you and I are going to talk about in part. It's a nightmare. The inflation, everything right now in America, Brooke, you know this, you said you're a grandma. I can't believe you're a grandma. But I mean, uh, you know, it, it just just what we're doing to children, right? I mean, if you look at, let's go back to 2013 when you and I met. If I would have walked up to you and said to you, hey, want to let you know something, uh, there's going to be this this movement going on where girls are going to chop off their breasts and boys are going to want to remove their testicles so this way Denise could be Dennis and Dennis can be Denise, you wouldn't have let me on the back of the motorcycle. Right. It would have been crazy talk. That was crazy talk back then. I know it's been going on for a while, but it's definitely been in our faces for the last few years. Under the Joe Biden regime, it's been really in our faces, in our schools. I have family member that has been affected. It's really affected our family in a terrible, terrible way. Um, It is a dangerous, demonic, and I'm not afraid to say that, that is a demonic movement across our country. And the parents and the schools that participate in it are criminal. It's criminal. They should be indicted. If they are participating in letting a child mutilate their body and form, it it will change their future forever. And the people that are the adults in the room should be held criminally responsible. I want to talk to you today about some of the issues that are facing America. There's no doubt, but I'd like to put that towards the end after people know a little bit more about you and about your principles and your theories about where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. So remember, you know, the theme here 
is future ready. And that is a term that a partner of mine, uh, John Scully, back when I had a consulting business in Manhattan, actually, uh, he was my partner when I lived 9-11. He used to be the CEO of Apple. And he came up with this future ready terminology. And what it was, was you have to be able to look at where you are in the current moment and come up with solutions for problems that are really going to solve those problems. So this way we can make a better tomorrow. Everybody wants a better tomorrow. And if you don't have a plan, it's a plan to fail. So what I aim to do here is we all know the problems, but, and any person could get up there and just start spewing them out on television. And it just, it's, it's horrifying. We know it. What are we going to do about it? That's always what I hear, Brooke. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? So the first thing I want to ask you is that, you know, I mean, again, you look great. Uh, you got grandkid. You know, it's, it, everything's going wonderful. North Carolina is, is a really nice state to be in. What makes someone, I mean, give us the day that you finally said, I'm going to do this. Because a lot of people, myself included, think about running for office. And the thought never really materializes into action. Tell us where you were, what you said, who you were with when you finally decided, I need to do something for the future of America. That was with my partner, my husband, Sean. Um, he wrote something called, your, your partner wrote future, talks about future ready. My husband wrote a book called Future Glory. And that was something about uh, materializing the, the heaven on earth, right? God being with us and walking in his wisdom and in his uh, kingdom, even here on earth. The day I decided to run for Congress, I'd thought about it. Trust me, I'd thought about it a lot. Patrick McHenry is in the seat currently. And you saw uh, when they vacated the seat with McCarthy that McHenry got up and slammed the little gavel down. I say little because he's a little guy. He slammed the gavel down, throwing a little bit of a fit. And I thought, oh, that guy, he's got to go. I mean, I knew he had to go, but I thought he's got to go. So I started looking into it. Did you realize in the United States, sadly, we have a 98% incumbency bias? And I started hearing around the district how awesome it was that our congressman is the speaker pro tem. Can you believe it? I was like, did you not? Realize who it is. I mean, he's made some horrible decisions. He's had some terrible votes. He's been a part of the swamp, deep, deep, deep state swamp for a long time. He's there for 20 years. He's got to go. Well, I didn't think about filing for office then. Literally, Dennis, it was when he said on December, I believe December 5th, he said he was not going to run for reelection. And the filing had already started in our state. So he he tossed he tossed the towel in during the filing season and Sean and I just one night in the hot tub said I'm going to do this and it's time to do it. We got our stuff in order and I filed about 9 days later. And I'm so glad that I did. Uh the other opponents I have a there's a field of five of us. One of them is a current legislator, one of them is a retired green or not retired but a green former green beret. And um, another one is a nurse and another gentleman is a businessman. I feel like I have the chops to do what needs to be done in D.C. because I've been fighting the uniparty, the deep state, the swamp, whatever you want to call it, for my whole adult life. Uh, there was a time when I was in Oklahoma for a short while and I partnered with Senator Tom Coburn, who was a mentor to me, and we stood up something called Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite against a massive taxation coming across the, uh, the state when we were sitting on a surplus. So we started a veto referendum 
uh, referendum group called OTU. We were sued by the school board, or not the school board, we were sued by the teachers' unions, and we fought back because they were going after the poor. Even though they were sitting on a surplus, they were coming back for the money from the people constantly, always coming back for the money. Then we moved uh, from Oklahoma to Hawaii for a short time to be with my daughter while she finished college. Out there, I thought I was done. Honestly, I was like, oh, I'm in paradise. I'm just going to enjoy paradise. But when something is a part of you and who you are, you just can't seem to stop. And out there, I um, stood up wahine for Trump, which is the Hawaiian word for women. We stood up women for Trump. And we did rallies across the state. And every week, every month we got together wearing our red hats in a very deep blue state. And then Dennis, COVID hit. And COVID hit Hawaii like tyranny hit England. (laughs) It was terrible what took place out there. We were being masked up, of course. We were uh, being locked down, of course. You couldn't even go to the beach. You were being threatened with a $5,000 ticket to go to the beach. So I stood up what was called Reopen Hawaii with my friend Jason. The first day he was arrested um, when we did that at the Capitol. Then later, I sued the governor of Hawaii. His name is David Ige. I sued him for his anti-constitutional, tyrannical activity during COVID. Um, I lost. Harmeet Dillon came in as my attorney. They made her zoom in from the hotel room. She couldn't even go into the court case. Uh, and we lost. So I've had some battles in that. Yeah, I've lost. But guess what? That doesn't mean we ever stop fighting. Now I have a grandbaby, as you heard me say, and I have one on the way. If I didn't do this, I would feel like I was departing from whom I am, you know, departing from my 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 destiny and my DNA and who I am as a person, who I am as a fighter, standing up for the lost, standing up for injustice. And uh, that's why I'm running for Congress. I'm very excited to do so. You know, it's a um, it's a brave thing. I'm not saying this because you're on my program and I'm looking across at you. It's a brave thing to enter politics and say that you're going to put your name in. There are so many different things that have to happen. You have to get enough signatures on a ballot. You've got to get our petition, I should say, uh, you, to get your name on the ballot. You've got to go out and raise money. You got to go shake hands. Uh, you know, on a Saturday, maybe where you and Sean would like to just chill out, maybe, uh, you know, get a steak, a couple of beers and a Netflix. You got to go to some parade, you know, so it's it's not easy. And I, I don't think people recognize the sacrifice that a person needs to make in order to do it. I mean, you got to look no further than Donald J. Trump. I mean, look at all the things that he's going through simply because his great crime was he wanted to make America great again. So when you look at the the the, the way that things are shaped today in the political forum, uh, and I mean uh, when you go from hot tub idea to actually putting in your paperwork to actually going now and doing what you're doing, the media, trying to raise money, do all the other different stuff, what part of the process that you see today is broken that you'd like to see repaired for the future? I don't know how to do this, but I know that it's broken. And that is I'm up against major, major funders with these two opponents that are in the lead. One of them has been funded by his father-in-law, uh, half of to the to what we've heard. I haven't seen it yet, but to the tune of half a million dollars. The other one has put in his own money, but also has been um, supported by the AFP, which is the Koch brothers, uh, open borders, amnesty supporting Koch brothers. 
I really have trouble getting and the other one. The first one I mentioned, the legislator, he's been supported by what's called GOPAC. So it looks like millions of dollars is being poured into this race for the two of them just to battle each other out. I'm the grassroots. I'm the patriot. You know, I'm the I'm the one that has been uh, endorsed by General Michael Flynn and the Bikers for America and the Truckers for the Constitution, the regular Joe, because I've always fought for the forgotten American. What's sad is that when lies start getting told about you and they have the means to tell them on either the news or in the flyers that come four or five times in your mailbox, it's hard to break through from that. So I really do appreciate you having me on your program today. Breaking through is the hardest part when you are a grassroots candidate and you don't have millions behind you. So uh, what's it been like at this point trying to raise money? As I mentioned, my supporters are suffering from Bidenomics, just like you and me. We are all under the gun, right? Our taxes have uh, shot through the roof. Uh, Our food prices and fuel prices are outrageous. Uh, I have about 150 donors, and they range from a $5 donation to a $3,000 donation. So that means a lot to me. I don't have a pack that's put in 200 grand or 250 grand for for anything. And I will never, by the way, be beholden to a pack, especially a pack that is open borders, a Trump hater like AFP, who props up Nikki Haley and bundles a bunch of Democratic donations to try to undo the Trump doctrine and what Trump has tried to do for this country. I will never support an endorsement from an establishmentarian like Virginia Fox, who voted no to impeach Mayorkas. That's what my other opponent has done. Uh, There are certain endorsements you should reject if you call yourself a patriotic American, and those I would reject, even though there's money attached. I can't remember his name. I know his first name was David, and it, it happened on or around the same time that you and I met. You may recall that there was a guy out of Virginia, <clears throat> and he was running up against Eric Cantor. Uh, Eric Cantor was the Speaker of the House. He had a war chest, I believe, of $5 million to run. And this guy who was a professor, Dave something or another, I Dave can't Brett. remember. Dave Brett, you got it. I knew you'd remember. Dave Brett had a couple of hundred thousand dollars. It was a David and Goliath story. And he wound up kicking Eric Cantor's butt. And you know why? He had a great message. He was focused in on the issues. He was highlighting how Cantor was basically the establishment, deep state, but whatever we'd swamp, whatever we want to call it. And I truly believe that the money does matter because that's the game. you got to advertise, whatever. But if you've got a strong message, there's always a will, there's always a way. So, you know, don't, don't ever give up. You don't, you're not a quitter. Uh, don't ever give up on the idea that you can't do it just because, you know, these other guys are well-funded. That's okay. You just got to keep on doing the messaging. I'm assuming you're trying to do as much social media and outreach as you possibly can. I'm squelched on social media, unfortunately, you know, for many, many years. Can you believe that? Did you know that our 2 million bikers to DC page had half a million people on it when they took it off? Did they? they took it they, off of, uh, of the social media networks I won't mention. <laughs> but we had half a million followers at the time. And then later on, I launched something called MAGA Institute. And that's been taken down from both Twitter, another um, uh, social media platform, as well as been removed from the web hosting off of my website. So you can't even find it. You can find me on podcasts. I did about a little bit over a hundred shows, maybe 115 shows on um, 
well, it's not even playing on Apple anymore. I tried it again this morning, but you can get it to play on Spotify and Podbean. MAGA Institute, if you want to hear any of my older shows, there is censorship. And I want to see that end. Free speech should mean exactly that. Uh, I'm grateful to Elon Musk for what he's done to buy X and transform that. But even so, it's hard to start from zero. So social media is not my best. What is my best outreach are the people. The grassroots talk to each other. They may not be even talking as much on uh, social media as they used to because they've been squelched. But there's a lot of talk going on behind the scenes. I'm hearing that my numbers are rising in the polls. And as we approach uh, voting day, next week is early voting on February 15th and March 5th is the election day. And uh, as we approach it, I think that we're going to see me emerge a little bit higher than we're expecting, even though I don't have the millions or the money behind me. I do have the motivation and I have the American people. Well, with that being said, let's take a look at some of the issues that the country is facing that um, I mean, I don't want to go into the nitty gritty of District 10 in North Carolina in the sense that, hey, we've got this uh, traffic light on the corner that needs to be changed, (laughs) you know. I want to go more into a national issue that basically trickles down into being a local issue. You brought up before about how it is that, you know, moms and dads, uh, everybody, even my sons, you know, my son is working right now, the, uh, you know, the, the whole system here. And he will tell me, dad, I, I just went to go get two days of food from the supermarket. He lives with his brother. He's like, it cost me 150 bucks. And if you extrapolate that over a month, I mean, he's spending well over $1,000 on food for just one person. How does anybody sustain that when you add in rent and you add in car payment and car insurance? In fact, he just got his car insurance, $1,500 a year. You start to add it up, and we're making it impossible for the American citizen to be able to live any kind of American dream. So when you look just at the standpoint of finances, the economy, how things are impacting the folks in your district in the same way that they're uh, impacting people in my town and other places. What do you think are some of the things that can be done? What would you champion for first if you were actually indeed elected to the spot? I would love to be on the appropriations committee. I want to root out all of that duplication and the waste and the fraud. I mentioned before Senator Tom Coburn, who I partnered with in Oklahoma. He retired from, he's passed since, he passed in 2020, but he retired from the Senate after being called Dr. No of the Senate. And that was because he would vote no on things he couldn't read. First of all, if you get a 2000 page bill, why would you vote yes on it just because you're told to on your BlackBerry or on your iPhone? Uh, you would you would have some common sense to say no to something like that. I would do that. I also want to revive what he did called the waste book, where he line itemed out everything that was crazy, like, you know, monkey opera. Why are we paying for what's currently happening? What was in last year's budget is we're literally paying for studies. We give grants to like the country of Ghana to find out if seatbelts and helmets might help them survive a wreck in Ghana? Why are we doing this? Why are we paying Napa Valley to build their own walking trail? The most high income valley in the country next to Loudoun County, Virginia. We're going to subsidize their walking trail. What are the federal dollars doing crazy things like that? That's what I want to root out. I would love to bring attention to that because it really has to be attention brought to it for the people to say no, to stand up, 
to send somebody who wants to do something like that. I was on a committee in Oklahoma City. I was appointed by the mayor. It was called Better Streets, Safer Cities. We oversaw $900 million worth of infrastructure and improvements. Dennis, I was the only no vote on a panel of 11 ever. Really? I was the only no vote. Of course, I was outvoted, but at least I said things like, why are you voting this in? Are we, why should we rubber stamp everything that comes our way? Don't you want to investigate it? Don't you want to see the whole scope of what we have to spend? At the time, it was only $200 million. It ended up growing to $900 million based on what the taxpayers decided at the ballot box. That was a referendum. In Oklahoma, you can make those kinds of decisions. I will be the no vote. I want to stand in the gap for people and their do- and their dollars and their pocketbooks. This is getting untenable. What we're seeing at the border, we're seeing NGOs invite all of these people in. We know that that is to shift our demographics so we have more congressional districts that will always lean left so we can never get another Republican president again. We know that these are their goals and we continue to let the influx come in like a tsunami of people. This has to stop. We have to cut off the funding at the NGOs, whether that's at state level or the federal level, cut off the funding. I will do that in Congress. We are funding our own demise. That's why your son is suffering when he goes to the grocery store and has to pay rent. We are funding our own destruction, and I will not be a part of the dismantling of the greatest nation ever known in the world. I think that's phenomenal. It's a great answer. It's promising as well. I mean, you got to get your message out as much as you possibly can because, you know, people are suffering. You know, and there was a thing my wife just showed me the other day. It was kind of funny, Brooke. I know you don't do a lot of social media at this point, but uh, I think it was on Twitter. Elmo, you know, Elmo, Elmo went on and asked a question, how are you doing? And it wound up bringing in almost half a million responses. And people were saying, I'm doing horrible. I can't pay my bills. I'm going to lose my house. I'm not eating as much as I used to be. I'm not going to the doctor because I can't afford the copay. I mean, I lost my health insurance. I can't pay the monthly. I mean, it was just insane the amount of response that 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 came in from people. It was a it was just a quirky little post. And the response was really, really powerful. And, you know, here we have Biden and the Democrats trying to get another $60 billion for Ukraine, uh, you know, $14 billion, I think it is, for the Israelis, and like another billion or two for some Indo-Pacific something or another I've never even heard of, and I'm in the news politics business. And you sit there and you say, wow, $60 billion, and they're arguing and fighting for it with such passion behind it. Could you imagine if the Democrats would actually ever be so passionate for the American people? Even some of the Republicans, you look at the Republicans, we just had three Republicans reject. I I mean, I just, I I go absolutely bonkers that they rejected the impeachment of Mr. Mayorkas. And you sit there and you say, that means that you are basically supporting the idea that you know, the illegal aliens are number one and the, the U.S. citizens are basically, you know, bottom deck sort of people. That's not the way this country was founded and that's not the way it's going to be able to operate and survive. You know this, you just said this. Taking you to the border, which I know you were just at the border, you know, a lot of times people, at least in the beginning, I remember that's how I got started, people look at the border and they think it's a Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico problem and it's not. It spreads throughout this entire country. We've probably got 60 million people in here illegally at this point. 
every single town in America is suffering from this on multiple different levels. Let me just spit, spit them out, and then you tell me. I'll give you the floor. You tell me what we, you, you'd, you'd fight for in Congress. Number one, from a health perspective, people are going to come into District 10. They're going to come in here illegally. They're going to have a splinter. They're going to have a cold. They're going to go to the emergency room and bump up everybody's bill, everybody's uh, premium, because nobody's paying that bill at the hospital. You've got education. It costs 25 to 35% more to educate a non-speaking illegal alien than it does to give an education in math and science and reading to an American child. Property taxes is how you pay for public schools. So everybody's property taxes, get ready. They're all going up with this influx of people coming in. Then you've got crime. The police officers, your sheriffs, everybody, the, the court systems are so clogged with having to run down problems from the illegal alien community. It's like, hey, who's taking care of us? I mean, that's just three. You go food shopping. We just talked about that. My son goes food shopping. He's got to drop 150 bucks on the basics. He's got in front of him somebody who can't even speak a lick of English ripping out a snap card. We just saw that, you know, snap. We just did a report on this the other day. Uh, the illegal aliens are getting 40% more benefits through snap than the American citizen. So that's just on that end. I won't even go down terrorism. I'm just talking about the daily ins and outs of allowing these people into your country illegally. How would you uh, propose, if you're, if you're elected, you have to propose bills. What kind of bill would you propose uh, f- to stop the issue that we see happening at our border? I think we have to go back, as I said a moment ago, we have to go back to the origin of why they're coming, right? They're being invited here through our tax dollars, through NGOs, non-government organizations, going down into Colombia and going into China and going into Peru and Brazil, inviting them and getting them here. Obviously, they've sold much of all of they own to pay for the cartel passage. But there's also just that influx of money from the U.S. taxpayer to these NGOs to invite them here. We cut off that funnel right there and that will have to stop. You know, they're being propagandized in their countries that if they come to America, not even propagandized, it is true. Come to America, you'll get free housing, free food, free, you know, free health care. Your kids can go to school, whatever it is that they're enticing them. Who wouldn't want to come to America if you're in the third world, Dennis? Everybody would want to come to America. Guess what, people? All of the world is coming to America. That's what we're seeing. It's happened already in England and Ireland and France. We've seen it already take place all over Europe. The migration, the refugees who left the Middle East, who left Sudan, who left Syria. It's happening here now. It's our turn. It's called the color revolution. It's been going on for a couple of decades. It's just that it's now more in our face because Trump is no longer around to stop it. One of the things I would do absolutely is to cut off the funding. If you stop that funding, you could stop the influx. You could stop the ability for this to occur. Now, there's going to be a lot of steps we're going to have to take. Right here, even in my district, there are what's called refugee settlement programs. Uh, they they may be lifted out of uh, Raleigh or Greensboro, but they have settlement programs in my district. And Forsyth County is actually mentioned in the Center for Immigration Studies as one of the six sanctuary counties in North Carolina. I mentioned this last night to a a candidate for governor, and there was another gentleman in the room who was a general assemblyman who said, I'll stop that. Give me the list. I'll stop that. And I just said to him, why haven't you already? You're you're a supermajority 
in the North Carolina General Assembly, you know that you've been given money to all of these, you know, uh, foundations and uh, grants to all of these, whatever they are, just these settlement, re refugee settlement programs. And there's three page lists. There's not one or two. There's a three page list that North Carolina is paying for our own destruction. Dennis, every state in the country is a border town right, right now. Every state. You may not see the planes coming in or the buses coming in. You may not know exactly where the settlements are. And that's by design. They're hiding the refugee settlements from us. Some of them are in hotels that have been abandoned. Some of them are in apartment complexes. Some of them are building buildings right now through North and South Carolina, we can see. So the problem is, is the people have to speak up and rise up. And just because you're being gaslit, I mentioned this on Monday night to Forsyth County Sheriff, I said, they're here, they're, the settlements are here in our county, in this county, that's not my county, but it's a county in my district, and he wanted to know the address. And because I couldn't come up with the address right then in a room full of people, conservative women, he said, that's not fair. And they go, oh yeah, that's not fair for you to make those accusations. Well, hell's bells, you can look at the schools, you can look at the, the hospitals, you can look at the jails and you know that it's true. Just because I can't give you an address on 2nd Street over there where they actually are, doesn't mean it's not happening. There's a three page list of where it's happening in the whole state of North Carolina. You know that's happening across the country in every single state. You can hear Chicago and New York residents crying about it, saying we need relief. You can hear even Eric Adams, mayor of New York City saying he needs federal relief based on already being a sanctuary city for what, 15 years? It's got to stop or it's going to stop us. And I think that's happening very, very soon. One of the things that seems to have changed uh, in Congress since I was first entered into this whole uh, world of news and politics going back to 2008, 2009, when somebody was elected into Congress, it was a very prim and proper and, you know, everybody wore a tie and all the girls were always, you know, a million dollars dressed. And it was, everything was sort of just outlined. Over the course of time, maybe it was social media, uh, maybe it was Barack Obama having a very unique style to him, you know, singing Barry White songs. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But at some point, it started to become more about the louder you are, the more attention you'll get, the more power you wield. Now, if you take a look at it on the other side, you know, AOC, which, uh, and I don't mean anything bad to somebody whose, you know, career was that of a bartender, but we're talking about somebody who went from bartender to the biggest voice in Congress for Democrats. You've got Ilan Omar, somebody who is a refugee who is one of the biggest voices for Democrats. You've got uh, Tlaib, who is, as far as I know, uh, you know, connected to outrageous organizations like CARE and will sit there and defend Hamas at every single level, one of the most powerful voices in Congress. Come on to our side, Marjorie Taylor Greene, willing to scream at the top of her lungs, one of the most powerful names there is. Matt Gates, same thing. If you were to describe how you would be, uh, how you would sort of fall, what bucket you would be in, uh, how would you describe yourself? Would you be sort of like they are, you know, really bold and powerful and scream and you don't care what anybody has to say? 
Or would you be more along the lines of somebody like um, Speaker Johnson, who sort of has always kept himself in a box and sort of hasn't gone out those lines and, you know, prim and proper and everything else of that matter? I have two sides to me, you know, I definitely want to be the firebrand because I care about the forgotten American. Um, I, I kind of gristle or, or I bristle at the thought of, well, we've got to reach across the aisle to get anything done. Excuse me, Dennis, when have you seen the left ever compromise their side to come over to us? We are always expected to compromise. I will not compromise. I will build coalitions with people like MTG and Matt Gates. I'm excited about working with Paul Gosar and Thomas Massey in the House. Those are incredible. Josh Burkeen, who is a new congressman, a Freedom Caucus member, but also a very uh, astute, well-read, and also a Freedom Caucus member who cares about the forgotten American. I want to put my all of my attention on on those types. And I will be that kind. I will join the Freedom Caucus on day one. I'm the only one in my race who's committed to do so. In fact, I've heard others scoffing at that idea. I will join the Freedom Caucus. I will always join a caucus that follows my mission. Now, if they go away from their mission, and I've read it, which is about limited government and protecting the American and following you know, our, our founding principles, if they sway from that, then I will step out of the Freedom Caucus. But currently, as it stands, the mission of the Freedom Caucus is just that. It's taking care of the forgotten American. It's limiting government. It's, it's reducing the size and scope of government. It's saying no to this craziness. It's, it's saying we're now at 30, almost $37 trillion in debt. Let's examine why. Really? I mean, are we just going to continue to lift the ceiling when your house backs up with septic? Do you just raise the roof? You got to clean the crap out of the house. And that's what I intend to do with friends like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Thomas Massey. Uh, I wish Louis Gohmert was still there. I loved Louis. He was yeah. a great congressman. But there are some, you know, uh, Bob Good from Virginia who leads the Freedom Caucus. There are some really good uh, congresspersons up there, and I will definitely be sidling up next to them, but also leading the way. If I stand alone, Dennis, I'm not afraid of standing alone. You've known me for a long time. I don't care if I stand out in a crowd or if I say something that others don't like. As long as I'm following the right path and the Lord and righteousness and standing up for you, I'm okay for be doing that all by myself. So we only have a couple of minutes here left, three minutes left. Uh, I, I want you to sort of paint a picture, uh, it, what America, I mean, look, we, we know right now the situation with Joe Biden, Democrats, the media, uh, the illegal aliens. I mean, I, I, at 54 years old, I'll be 55 in August. I don't remember a time that ever even comes close to how bad things are now. I remember with Obama, I was like, wow, man, how could it get any worse than this? I mean, he's worse than Jimmy Carter. And what what and but Joe Biden is Joe Biden actually makes me miss Obama. I mean, that's how bad that's how bad he is. And um, so to that extent, I want to leave this on, on a promising note and then we'll finish off with giving your uh, web addresses again here. But paint a realistic, positive future if we get people like you elected into Congress helping let's assume uh president trump in his next uh in his in his next time in the oval office let's say he wins 
What can it look like if we get people like you into office? Well, I can't promise the pie in the sky because it will take a lot of time to undo the damage that's been done on us. You mentioned Obama. For sure, we thought that was going to be the worst of it. But currently right now under Joe Biden, we are living in people are calling it a silent depression. You mentioned the the monetarily, you know, I think our rent now is about 46 percent of income which in during the depression days, that was like 10% or 8%, way low. Now it's over 46%. Currently the de- depressive rates and suicide rates are about 26% higher than they were right after World War II. And after World War II, people came back and were unhappy and there was a high depressive rates. We have problems. We have problems in this country, but God, right? But God, we know how the end of the story goes, right? We've read the end of the book. We have to keep pushing back on evil. It's my life verse. Ephesians 5.11, take no part of the wicked deeds of darkness, but to expose them. If we keep shining sunlight on all of these bad things that were that are surrounding us, if enough people like me, like you, who say this stuff has to end, it's time to return to our foundations. It's time to return to the, the Lord. It's time to return to who we are as a people in America. It's time to go back to our patriotic principles and stand up for righteousness, judge, uh, goodness, and judge accordingly. Those things can happen again, but it's only going to be the will of the people, and it has to be we the people. We don't let PACs pick our congresspersons. We don't let money pick our congress. We don't let the media pick our leadership or our civil servants, I like to call us. I I will be an employee. I'm not a leader. I'm an employee of about 500,000 people who are going to employ me to go to to the congress and, and represent them in the district. And I will listen to them. And what that's what you need. You need a compassionate listener and you need somebody who will stand in the gap, someone who will say no, someone who will stand up and say, this is enough. We've had enough already. We're drawing a line in the sand. This is where it stops. And we're going to do this and we're going to do it all together. Brooke, I got to tell you, uh, you know, one of the things that um, I will say here in the closeout of the show is I, I would like to see money ripped out of elections. If they were ripped out of elections, I'd love to have it to see how the polls would look with you versus the two other people who are leading you. And then you said that the two other people also in it, because I think people like you who are passionate, articulate, well-presented, willing to fight for what they believe in, you know, along the lines here of this interview, never did you say, um, never did you say, you know, you, know, you didn't use any of those fake uh, inserts. And the reason being is, and I know this because I do this for a living, is because what you're doing is you're speaking from the heart. You're, it flows for you. You're not remembering something in your head and trying to recite it because it's a good talking point. It's coming from the heart. And when it comes from the heart, you don't need any uh, teleprompters. You don't need to have fillers like um and you know. It flows. It's, it's, and I can hear it in your voice. So, you know, I think the future of this country, uh, its success relies on the ability to get people like you the opportunity to go in there and fight for people. If you do a great job, you'll be rewarded with reelection. If you don't do a great job, then you'll be rewarded with a back seat, you know. So at the end of the day, um, I only tell you that, you know, I hope that you get a fair chance and that you go out there and knock on doors and shake hands and, and give people what it is that they, they need. I ask anybody 
who is watching this, whether it's on Facebook or the DML News app or wherever it is that we have this up, that if you know somebody in District 10, if you know somebody in North Carolina, you know, tell them about Brooke. But at the same time is it doesn't stop you. You could be in Boise, Idaho and listening to this. And if you think Brooke is is the cat's meow and you want to give her a bit of a chance, go to brookfornc.com. You don't have to be from District 10 to support this lady. Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, for F-O-R-N-C in terms of North Carolina. Brooke for North uh, NC.com, District 10. She's running for Congress. Her dates are coming up on her, so she needs to have as much support and help as possible. Brooke, it is uh, my pleasure to have you on here. I wish you all the luck in the world. Please send me a text message and let me know how things are going, and uh, we hope we uh, helped get your message out here a bit today. I sure will, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to see you again. You don't look 54. No way, baby. I look 63. (laughs) No way. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stay well. All right. That's it for us. That's Brooke McGowan. She is a a fighter. I can tell you that right now. She's feisty. You know, I'll tell you a little side story. Uh, I remember back with the bikers, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't the, uh, easiest thing for me to navigate through there. I didn't look like a biker. I had a sports jacket on. I had all the stuff that you would expect me to uh, have, especially doing my Fox News hits. I think I was doing a hit from that uh, on that day. And, it, you know, just Brooke was one of those people just always was trying to help me out, get me on a motorcycle, whatever. And I didn't have a ride. And she was actually one of the people that was trying to find me a ride. So, and that was a crazy day. It was pandemonium all over the place. And just just a good person who believes in God and believes in the Constitution and all things America. And uh, it sounds like she's got a little bit of a hill to climb with all this money being tossed at these two other candidates. But like I said, you know, there is an ability to beat money with the right messaging. So I hope she uh, finds a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Maybe you can help her find that. Make sure you hit the share button. Make sure you uh, reach out. And even if you could give her a dollar to help her out, believe me, a dollar goes a long way. It pays for a stamp to get something out to somebody. So there you go. All right. So that's Brooke for Congress. Uh, Brooke from NC.com. And of course, I'm Dennis Michael Lynch. I want to thank Ryan on the controls. Thank Brooke for uh, joining me today. And until the next time, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America and always be future ready. We'll talk to you soon. Get the Dennis Michael Lynch podcast every day by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and download the DML News app from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store for breaking news, merchandise, films, exclusive content and team DML.